Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Father, we just want to come today. We thank you for the privilege of gathering as your children. And with many different places, Lord, but with one heart. And that is to understand you more and to serve you better, Lord. Uh, so, Father, we just ask that you would teach us through your Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, you would breathe upon these words and that you would apply them individually uh, to each of our lives in the way you know is best. So, Lord, we just give you this time and we thank you we can do this together. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, away we go. Okay, some of you are stretching again. Okay, you're ready to go. Here we go. Exodus 22. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. But if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltiness on his account. He shall surely make restitution. If he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If what he stole is actually found alive in his possession, whether an ox or donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man lets a field or a vineyard be grazed bare and lets his animal loose so that it grazes in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. If a fire breaks out and spreads to thorn bushes so that the stack grain or the standing grain or the field itself is consumed, he who started the fire shall surely make restitution. If a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep for him and it is stolen from the man's house, if the thief is caught, he shall pay double. If the thief is not caught, then the owner of the house shall appear before the judges to determine whether he laid his hands on his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it's for ox, for donkey, for sheep, for clothing, or for any lost thing about which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before the judges, and he whom the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives his neighbor a donkey or an ox, a sheep, or any animal, to keep for him, and it dies, or is hurt, or is driven away while no one is looking. An oath before the Lord shall be made by the two of them, that he has not laid hands on his neighbor's property, and its owner shall accept it, and he shall make restitution. But if it is actually stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If all his torn parts are pulled apart, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn to pieces. If a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it's injured or dies while its owner is not with it, he shall make full restitution. 
If its owner is with it, he shall not make restitution. If it is hired, it came for its hire. If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged and lies with her, he must pay a dowry for her to be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the dowry for virgins. He shall not allow a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. He who sacrifices to any god other than to the Lord alone shall be utterly destroyed. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict him at all, and if he cries out to me, I will surely hear his cry, and my anger will be kindled, and I'll kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you're not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you are to return it to him before the sun sets. For that is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. What else shall he sleep in? And it shall come about that when he cries out to me, I shall hear him, for I am gracious. You shall not curse God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay the offering from your harvest and your vintage. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. It shall be with you, it's, I'm sorry, it shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day, you shall give it to me. You shall be holy men to me. Therefore, you shall not eat any flesh torn to pieces in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. Okay. Well, uh, the overview I get here uh, is that that God here is giving laws through which we are to live and to have a full life. Uh, God doesn't just give laws to give laws to be a pain in the neck. He gives laws because they help us stay on the right track. They help us stay in sync with God's character. And as we live the way he would live, uh, we're going to experience blessing. On the other hand, if we live in ways that are not like God's character, if we break his laws, which come out of his character, uh, then we're not going to experience the blessing, we'll experience the curse. So God's very clear here. He's laying out laws, basically saying, if you keep these laws, you're going to be in sync with who I am, and you'll experience a full life. Uh, but I think the key word to me in chapter 22 is the last verse, 31. And you shall be holy men to me. You shall be holy men to me. And I, I believe the key word there is holy. Okay. Uh, there's a verse in Leviticus. We'll get there eventually. Leviticus 11:44. The Lord says this, for I am the Lord your God. Be holy for I am holy. God says, this is who I am. <laughs> and I want you to live the way I live. Because as we are synced together and we have a common lifestyle, life is going to flow. You'll be with the stream. But on the other hand, if you act contrary to my nature and my character, you're swimming upstream. And you're just making life extremely hard and difficult for yourself. So God wanted Israel to have a holy lifestyle. And from what I can clearly see, when you flip it to the New Testament, God has not changed his mind. Do you read the New Testament? 
God says, I want you to be holy. And that goes right down to the present day between you and I. God is asking each of us to have a holy lifestyle. Again, not holiness that it's a burden or a chore. It's holiness because that's who he is. That's wholeness and that's life. And God says, get in sync with me. Keep my commandments and life's going to go well for you. So God gave commandments, just backtracking a minute, uh, in Exodus 20, uh, that whole commandment thing begins to unfold, and God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses, and we know many of these, you know, no other gods before me, don't commit adultery, keep the Sabbath, all these things, ten of these rules, but then the Lord goes a little bit further, because the Ten Commandments are like an overall sweep of what holiness looks like. But then the Lord says, let me give you some more specifics of what holy looks, holiness looks like so that you can cooperate with me and live that lifestyle. So if you look at uh, Exodus 21, which was just yesterday, there were laws concerning how people were to deal with slaves. Uh, there were laws concerning personal injury. And today we really focus in, Moses begins to unfold what God gave him. Uh, and Exodus 22, some more laws. Uh, basically, if you break them down, there's five laws uh, about theft, laws about personal damage, laws about dishonesty, laws about immorality, and then civil and religious obligations. And basically, the last one, God shouts loud and clear, and pretty much through the whole thing of Exodus 22, I want justice in your interactions with other people. I want fairness. Justice and fairness really, I think, is the overarching theme uh, as God begins to unfold this aspect of his holiness. So what we're going to do is break those five categories down and look at them. So first, uh, laws about theft. And if you look at uh, Exodus 22.1, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. So in other words, if you steal and you're going to get caught, God says, we're going to make sure you don't want to steal because guess what? There will be a price tag that's going to hopefully stop you from wanting to steal the next time. Because if you steal something, um, then you're going to have to pay basically five ox for the one ox that was stolen or four sheep for the one sheep you stole. God's trying to keep them in check and say, there's got to be justice, and I hope you learn your lesson. Verse 2, if a thief is caught while breaking in and is struck the, that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. In other words, if somebody's breaking in your house at night, you can't identify really who that person is. And because you can't identify it, in a sense, you're, there's no bloody guiltiness. You're not going to be, in a sense, brought to court for that. But there is uh, another issue on three. But if the sun has risen on him, there will be bloody guiltiness on his account. In other words, in the daylight, you'll be able to see what's going on. And you're more accountable because you know what you're doing and you'll be held accountable for it. Um, so the important thing, though, uh, is about what the thief did. Midway through three, he shall surely make restitution. So if somebody steals something, this is a big word, restitution. It comes, if you've heard me read the chapter, over and over, over and over again. Restitution, restitution, restitution. 
uh, restitution uh, is basically say, we need to have a fairness going on here. Rest is, restitution means to restore with equal value. God said, I want justice. If you do something, there has to be justice because I am a just God. So he says, you, you basically, if you steal, um, then guess what? You pay back. But then here, if he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. In other words, if you can't pay back what you stole, guess what? You're going to be a slave. That's, that's a big, big deal. Uh, and again, hopefully, these commands are putting fear in the people so that they don't do what they shouldn't do. Because they're going to be having a concern like, hey, there's, I, I'm going to have to reap what I sow. Verse 4. If what he's told is actually found alive in his possession, whether an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Again, it's the whole idea of fairness and even more than fairness. If you do something wrong, you're going to pay up double, making sure that things are done in a fair and honest fashion. Uh, if you look at verses five and six, there's laws concerning property damage. If a man lets a field or a vineyard be grazed bare, Let's its animal loose so that it grazes in another man's field. He shall hear it again, make restitution for the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. In other words, uh, if an animal is let loose into somebody else's property and starts grazing on it, uh, you know, you're supposed to, to restrain your animal. If you don't, uh, then there's restitution. And it's interesting. It's not cheap restitution. You have to give the best of your field, the best of your vineyard. Six, if a fire breaks out and spreads to thorn bushes so that stacked grain or the standing grain of the field itself is consumed, he who started the fire shall surely make restitution. Again, if somebody is slack and actually puts on fire somebody else's field, guess what? You have to pay that back. So basically, I think what it's saying here is, again, what you sow, you're going to reap. Again, trying to keep some order in society. Because if not, things can go into havoc and everybody's doing their own little deal. There's no checks, there's no balances and things can get way out of hand. So uh, the third category is the idea of laws concerning dishonesty. And this is basically about if, if you give your property to somebody else for safekeeping when you're away. And then the Lord lays out, okay, what's fairness look like in this specific situation? Seven, if a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep for him, it's stolen from the man's house. If the thief is caught, he shall pay double. So it, it doesn't pay to be a thief because if you get caught, guess what? Whatever you stole, you're going to have to pay double. Okay, again, trying to slow down the evil nature in people by that law. Eight, if a thief is not caught, then the owner of the house shall appear before the judges to determine whether he laid his hands on his neighbor's property. In other words, if nobody's around, uh, then is the, is the man lying that's watching over the other man's property? Is he lying, trying to deceive the man? Uh, and again, God is into justice and fairness because if we can't tell exactly who's right and who's wrong, he says, guess what you got to do? When they bring it to the judges and that's why we have law courts today, to keep some order in society 
to keep some kind of a justice and a standard when situations come before the court. Uh, nine, for every breach of trust, whether it is for ox, for donkey, for sheep, for clothing, or for any lost thing about which one says, this is it. Here we get again, the case of both parties shall come here again before the judges and he whom the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. Again, justice. Justice has to be served according to the Lord. The judges will make a decision and whoever is the person that's the guilty party is gonna to have to pay double. Again, I think the double is there just to say, you're not just gonna to have to pay back equal, you'll have to do double. And because of that, hopefully you're not gonna be an offender again. Uh, 10, if a man gives his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep for him, and it dies or is hurt or is driven away while no one's looking, an oath before the Lord shall be made by the two of them, that he has not laid hands on his neighbor's property, and its owner shall accept it, and he shall not make restitution. Again, at that point, an oath has to be given. Probably, again, before the judges, um, I'm going to be called in for jury duty in October, which is going to be interesting. If you've ever been on jury duty, literally, you're there to determine who's telling the truth, who's not telling the truth. And again, that whole court system didn't start just in our society. This is way back in Israel. God had a means and a way to keep things in order and to do justice. Big deal with justice. I look at 12. And if it's actually stolen from him, shall make restitution. If all uh, is torn to pieces, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution. It, it goes on and on and on about the restitution. So I hope you're getting the point. I think that the Lord's trying to make that I'm trying to lift up here is God values honesty. He values justice. He wants these things. And God will make sure justice occurs. There will be restitution if somebody does something wrong. There will be a payment for a wrong. And ideally, this is going to keep people from just running wild uh, and causing society to be just some kind of unkept culture. Okay, let's move on a little bit more. This changes it up a little bit. That first thing is pretty much property. 16, if a man seduces a virgin, these are laws concerning immorality. Um, who is not engaged, lies with her, he must pay a dowry for her to be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the dowry for virgins. So basically, that would be if a man goes up and rapes somebody, uh, you just can't do that and get away with it and say, hey, no big deal. Uh, he basically then in a sense has to accept her as his wife and pay a dowry to the father. But if the dad says, hey, this guy's a real jerk, he's bad, I don't want my daughter to be with him, the father can cancel that out. And not only does the man not be able to get the woman, the man has to pay a dowry to the father, even if they're not married. So, and a dowry is expensive. So this is going to take a big chunk out of that guy's bank account. Again, what this is trying to do is put limits on mankind's sin. In other words, don't go just jumping women all over the place, because if you get caught, you're going to be accountable and 
a dowry is a big amount of money. You will pay the price. Uh, 18, you shall not allow a sorceress to live. Uh, I was looking again, just exactly what a sorceress is. Uh, and a sorceress uh, is somebody who uh, uses evil powers and evil spirits. Uh, so we're talking about basically uh, this person uh, is not living according to the Ten Commandments. God says, you'll have no other gods before me. And really, a sorceress is really, in a sense, worshiping the devil, going to the wrong source. Uh, and <clears throat> God, by the way, is extremely strong here. He doesn't just sweep things on the rob. Oh, well, this is a, a you know, not a, a good thing. There is a penalty, and sometimes penalties can be very strong because, again, we saw in the beginning, God is holy. He doesn't play games with sin. And when you're starting to mess around worshiping the devil, God says that person's going to die. Uh, and again, he does that because it's almost like a cancer. If that doesn't get cut out of Israel, if this person is loose, that, that's going to influence other people. It's like leaven. It, it'll go bad. The whole society can go bad. And we see this in the Old Testament where some evil people infiltrate uh, Israel. And Israel pays a major price because those people were not dealt with. So it says, you shall not allow a sorceress to live. 19, whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. Now, all I can do is sigh when I read that because our society is going down the tubes, unfortunately, very quickly. And we're seeing all kinds of things with sexual perversions. Uh, in regards to homosexuality is okay. Um, all kind of other things are okay. I know a, a son of God pastor that I knew, he said to a group, he says, you know what? It's only a matter of time before somebody that says I'm a child molester and society is going to say, well, he has rights. He has a right to do that if that's what he wants. Uh, and I remember Pastor Mike saying, you know what? There could come a day where it's, it's going to be okay to have sex with animals. I mean, you, everybody here, we all have rights, right? So we can do whatever we please because don't mess with my rights. Well, back here, we know straight what's right and what's wrong. The Bible is really pretty clear, folks. It's either white or black. Our society, unfortunately, has made it gray. And that's a major problem. And that's going to be a major issue, I believe, as we go further, where Christians are going to be persecuted. If we start saying white is white, black is black, there's only one way to God through Jesus Christ, there will become increased persecution. Uh, and I think we're seeing that now to a level, but it's going to increase. I believe the Bible is very clear on that. Uh, and it's going to cost something to be a Christian because there are basically things that are right and things that are wrong. Verse 20, he sacrifices to any other God other than the Lord alone shall be, and look what it says, utterly destroyed, not just destroyed, but utterly destroyed. Uh, Exodus 20, in the Ten Commandments, this is what the Lord said, Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, or any lightness of what is in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or in the water under it. 
You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a what? A jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. God says, I am God. Other gods are false, and if you worship them, you are definitely going to mess your life up, and there will be a price to be paid. Look at 21. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I find that very interesting, that the Lord basically says people are my creation. And in a very real sense, I think he's saying we're created equal, and we should value each other equally. Very important. Uh, there's a verse, uh, when I was looking at that, in James that came to me. Uh, let me get it here. James chapter 2. And verse 2, it says this. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, there comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my footstool. It says here, verse 9, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. So God's saying, I believe very clearly here in regards to the stranger that everybody should be treated with proper respect, okay? Rich, poor, doesn't matter. We should not basically have partiality. Everybody should be loved equally. And he goes a little bit further, very interesting to me, God is very sensitive to people that are in need. And some people are more vulnerable than others. If you look at 22, you shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict him at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry. My anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. That's strong language. I mean, that's really strong. Basically, God says, I am very, very concerned about widows and orphans. They're very vulnerable. They can be taken advantage of. And I want to be a just God and a merciful God. And I want you to pay, uh, pay special attention. Uh, let me give you some verses here to show you how strongly God feels about that. Uh, if you look at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 24, let me see here. Deuteronomy 24, 19, it says this, when you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, okay, that's the stranger, okay, for the orphan, for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Also, in Isaiah 116, it says this, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. This is what the prophet says. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Here's the word. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan and plead for the widow. Big deal. Uh, if you look again, uh, James chapter 1, 27, this is kind of cool, and I'd be interested in how you would complete the sentence. It says this. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight 
of our God and Father. Okay. What would you say? The Lord's saying here, this is undefined religion. God says religion equals, and what would you say? You know, you think about, okay, this, that, you know, holiness, whatever. Notice what he says. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God. Here it is, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So guess what? I think the Lord said, if, if you say you're genuine Christians, then you're going to have a real concern for orphans and widows. You're going to have a real concern for those that are not as fortunate as yourselves. And if you look in Acts chapter 6, 1, uh, we know there was an issue in the early church uh, about some widows. It says this, uh, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So it looks like widows were literally served special food. They didn't have money, finances. The church was taking care of them, but there was one group of these widows, the Greek widows that were kind of being overlooked. And that was brought to the attention of the apostles. So what's that say to Fusion Church? It says that we're supposed to be very, very sensitive to those who have genuine needs. And I'm very thankful that we do have a committee in the church that works with people that are going through very, very hard times in their lives financially and other ways. Uh, they can apply to the church. There are guidelines uh, to help people that are in genuine need. Uh, and the Bible is really clear uh, that that's something that we should do, not only in the Old Testament, but for us. Okay, uh, 25. Okay, if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you're not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. Again, God's concerned about the down and out people, the widow, the orphan. And here it says he's concerned about the poor. Okay. We, we you know, Christians, we definitely want to bring people to Jesus as Lord and Savior. But we do have a, a, an important thing to have social accent that we want to address the ills of society and try to deal with them and help people that are in need. Uh, he goes a little further on that, uh, 26. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you are to return it to him before the sun sets. For that is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. What else shall he be able to sleep in? And it shall come about that when he cries to me, I'll hear him for I am gracious. So what would happen is somebody said, okay, uh, I'm going to go, uh, I'll pay back the money I owe you. And to let you know uh, that I'm coming back to pay you what I owe you, here's my cloak. And that was like an outer garment. It was like a coat. Uh, but basically, uh, that was what that person used literally to sleep in, in a sense, many times to keep warm. So God is being very sensitive, saying, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, you can keep a pledge, but you got to get the guy's coat back at night so the guy doesn't freeze. Again, God is just, but notice it says here, I'm gracious. So God is not only just, but he's gracious and he's merciful and he's concerned about widows and he's concerned about orphans. He's concerned about this guy 
that made a pledge uh, that he doesn't freeze. The man needs to repay what he needs to, but you can't keep the cloak overnight. 28, you shall not curse God nor curse a ruler of your people. That's pretty obvious. You don't curse God. That's not good. But God has a high respect for leaderships that he is allowed to be put in place. Don't curse the leader. And it's very interesting. If you look at the Old Testament, David is being hunted by Saul over and over and over and over. And, and all David's followers are basically say, bump Saul off, kill the man, get rid of him. And David doesn't do it, really doesn't speak against Saul, doesn't get revenge against Saul, because he respects that somehow God had put him in a leadership position, and David respected that leadership position. So I think what that says to us is we are to respect the leadership position uh, of those that are over us. We need to respect the leadership in our church, Pastor Bennett. God's called him to lead the church and to be accountable. And believe me, it's not always a piece of cake to be a leader because um, guess what? He can't keep everybody happy. He's called the lead and we are called to respect him and pray for him. We're called to have the same attitude toward our president. You may not like President Biden. That's your opinion. You can figure out what you want, but you are called still to respect the office and to pray for him. And let me give you a, a verse. So, uh, you know, I'm just not flipping this one out. Uh, it says this in first Timothy chapter two, verse one, first of all, then I urge that entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Here it is for Kings and for all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So it's not only the negative, don't curse the leader, pray for them. Really important. And maybe that's why sometimes our nation is not in the best shape or our state is are we praying for our president? Are, are, is the society praying? Are we praying for our governors, our senators, that God would give them light, that he would give them wisdom, that he would give them direction? So important. Okay, 29, you shall not delay the offering from your harvest and your vintage. Basically, God had many times different offerings that had to be brought before the Lord. He says, don't dilly-dally with us. If God asks you to do that, then do that. Uh, I think that would transfer us. We don't bring harvest things, but I think God would be saying here for us as Christians, bring the tithe to the storehouse. Bring the tithe, the 10% to the church, and, and don't delay. It's an important thing. If you look at Malachi, in the Old Testament, it's it's very clear to me that tithing is not optional. It's what he calls his people to do. And then as we begin to wrap up here in 29, the firstborn of your sons shall you give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen, with your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day, you shall give it to me. And when you look at that, um, on the first Bring the first in. Uh, let me give you two verses. Exodus 13 and verse 12. It says this. <laughs> that you should devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb, the first offspring of every beast that you own, the males belong to the Lord. 
Every firstborn of man among your sons shall you redeem. And it shall be when your son asks you in the time to come, saying, What is this? Then you say to him, With a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. It came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of the beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord the males, the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. In other words, God judged the firstborn of Egypt, killed them, but God spared the firstborn of the Israelites as they were in their houses with the blood on their doorposts. And God's saying the firstborn are very, very important to me. I want you to dedicate the firstborn males that would be born in any household. I want you to dedicate them to me uh, and not necessarily that they have to be sacrificed, but basically instead of sacrificing them, uh, you can redeem them by bringing a certain amount of money or a certain amount of animals to the Lord to do that. So again, God's telling them something they need to do. And again, I end on 31. It says this, and you shall be holy men to me. You shall be holy women to me. So I would encourage you, and I, I know that this, you know, there's other things I've done, I think, that are, are a little bit more inspirational to me, and I probably would think would be a little bit more inspirational to you. But every part of the Bible is important. Every part of the Bible has a, a point to make. And I think the point I see here is that God is a holy God. And he wants to bring order in society, particularly into his chosen people, Israel and the church. And he wants us to live in a holy lifestyle that honors him to the world. And to be able to have that holy lifestyle, we got to know what's holy and what isn't holy. And that's why God gives all these laws. So we get a handle on what's correct and what's not. And the beauty for us as Christians in the New Testament uh, is God gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, more than just a, a lot of mechanical rules in a sense, the Holy Spirit in us begins to dictate our behavior and guide us and lead us. So I would encourage you, I have to encourage myself, let's seek to live a holy lifestyle, uh, basically that we can please the Lord uh, and that we can bring honor to his name and glorify him. The church, unfortunately, many people say is becoming more and more like the world. And it's supposed to be the opposite. Uh, the world has to become more like Christians because we live with a bright light of Jesus shining in us. So let's just close and ask the Lord to fill us afresh with his spirit, uh, that we would be a bright light in a society that, in a sense, is very crooked and warped. So, Father, we come today, uh, Lord, uh, just seeing that you are a holy God, and out of your holiness grows justice and fairness. So, Lord, not only are you holy and just and fair, but you're also, we saw, very gracious to orphans and widows and, and aliens. Uh, so, I pray, Lord, that those characteristics would be worked out in my brothers and sisters in my life as well. Lord, that we would be able to reflect your character in the world. As we go to the workplace, Lord, we would live differently than the world. Lord, as we interact in our homes, Lord, that we would live differently than the world. Uh, Lord, that we would live differently when we're with our friends. 
Uh, Lord, that we would even live differently when we deal with the gas station attendant, where it be when we interact with the tower at the bank. Lord, we pray uh, that your light in us, your Holy Spirit shining through us, would just reflect all that you are and that we can make a real difference. So I just pray for each of my brothers and sisters, Lord. Uh, clean us up, clean me up, Lord. Uh, that there would be blocks, that they would be removed in us, uh, that you would have a freedom, Lord, to live your life boldly in us and through us. And Lord, we pray it in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, folks. God bless you all. See you soon.